Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to this special bonus edition of Behind the Bottom Line. And in today's edition, I'm going to be exploring the background to the recently released story, Vixen, which came out in four episodes in early January. Now, if you haven't listened to Vixen already, uh, you really should stop listening to this background podcast and go and listen to episodes one to four now um, because otherwise it's going to be spoiled for you because in this episode I go into the background of the story where the ideas come from and I try to answer the questions that other listeners have sent to me so let's have a quick story recap wealthy hedge fund manager Colin Sutherland flies back to Ireland from Frankfurt to spend Christmas with his wife Flora and his two adorable daughters Daisy and Fiona Now, at first sight, it would seem that Colin has a perfect life, but everything is about to go wrong for Colin. His ex-mistress, Yasmin Tilka, has gone missing, and the police are looking for her. And this means that Inspector Huttle, from the Frankfurt police, uh, she is keeps on telephoning him to ask him questions to find out what he if he knows anything about her disappearance. This starts to make him very jumpy, very nervous, and it probably explains his allergic reaction to the sudden appearance of a mysterious fox in his garden. The children, who watch this fox out of their window at night, um, have named Princess Jasmine. And uh, Princess Jasmine seems to be haunting his every move. Things come to a head over Christmas, as things often do, uh, when Inspector Huttle discovers evidence of the affair between Colin and Yasmin. Um, she insists that he should return to Frankfurt for a formal interview, and this means that Colin is forced to confess to his wife about his affair, uh, whereupon she leaves with the children. Colin is fairly distraught about this, and he has to drive to Shannon Airport in the fog. And at some point... He sees an apparition of Yasmin as he last saw her when she was in Frankfurt and crashes. And on the side of the road, next to the dead Colin, the paramedics find the body of a dead fox. So that's the story in a nutshell. And let's have a look at the questions people asked. And so basically, there were three kinds of questions that people sent in. And uh, I'm going to explore each of those. The first question really was, um, where did the idea of a human taking on the form of a fox come from? So we'll look a little bit at that in the background. Um, then a question which came up from a couple of people is, why did I have to kill Cullen Sutherland? Uh, some people seem to think that I didn't need to kill him, that he could have stayed alive. Um, and I'll uh, go into a little bit of that. And last of all, um, and I suppose this is really the, the core question, yeah, what was fact and what was fiction in the story? Wouldn't you like to know? Um, well, okay, um, since this is a disclosure episode, I'll tell you. So first of all, let's have a look at this um, fox into humans or humans into foxes. And the fox um, uh, has actually quite a distinguished um, life in literature. You've got Reinecke Fuchs, of course, by Goethe, which uh, comes from a long tradition of stories about uh, super intelligent foxes. Um, you have the fox appearing in Chaucer, 
then in more recent years, you have Br'er Rabbit, you've got The Little Prince, you've got Pinocchio, uh, The Tale of Mr. Todd from Beatrix Potter. Um, but in my case, um, in, in all, most of those stories, uh, the fox remains a fox. They don't take on human form. But there is also a tradition of uh, foxes taking on human form. The best example of that comes from Japan, where they have these magical foxes called kitsune. And these magical foxes um, can live for something like a, um, a thousand years. And as they uh, as they grow up and they when they're about a hundred years old or so, they are able to shift their shape from fox into humans. Um, and I quite like these stories of uh, of foxes shifting into humans um, and the things that they get up to. And they can take on different forms, uh, sometimes wise old men, uh, but also sometimes beautiful young women who sometimes marry humans. Um, eventually, these stories don't always end up uh, happily. And eventually, the husband or the husband's mother uh, or the dog in the in the house uh, recognizes that uh, it's not a not a real human at all. Uh, it's actually a fox, and then they have to leave. These foxes can be quite mischievous. They can sometimes cause a lot of trouble. These magic foxes, uh, but they can also uh, be helpful and useful and do good things for. Uh, the people with whom they have contact. But what they can also do um, is they can get revenge on bad people. And really, this story is a, is kind of a revenge tragedy. Um, another interesting thing is that the name of Colin's mistress, Yasmin Tilka, Tilka is actually the Turkish word for fox. Um, and it is also uh, a fairly common surname in Turkish. And as we see in the story, uh, Yasmin is fairly badly treated by Colin. And I like the idea of her spirit adopting the form of a vixen in order to get revenge upon him. So question number two was, why did I kill Colin? Was it really necessary? Um, and I can sympathise with this point of view. Um, I don't normally like to, in my short stories, it's very rare for me actually to have a death. Um, I tend to keep my people alive. I'm a little bit squeamish about bumping off my characters. And after all, Colin isn't entirely bad. He plainly loves his children, Fiona and Daisy, and I think he probably loves his wife, Flora, as well. But in this case, uh, I felt it was necessary, uh, first of all, for the, the, the story structure, um, uh, what could I have Colin do? He have he'd have an affair. Uh, it would turn out that he that uh, Yasmin blamed him for her killing herself, but he wasn't going to be punished. He would just eventually, presumably, get back together with Flora and um, live happily ever after, or not? Because being Colin, being Colin, he would probably repeat this uh, mistake at some point in the future. There's a really nice quote from uh, Robin Williams. Let me just see if I can find it. I really love it. Um, God gave men both a penis and a brain, uh, but unfortunately not enough blood supply to run both at the same time, uh, which I yeah, is, is, is kind of pretty accurate. When the blood supply goes to a man's dick, they seem to be incapable of thinking rationally at all. Um, and I think Colin's behavior is quite typical 
of a lot of men. I can't speak for women, um, but I think it's quite typical of a lot of men, this an inability to think through the consequences of their actions. Um, and starting a fling, I think, often seems um, entertaining. I think there are lots of reasons why uh, men uh, think that they can, that it's a, a good idea. It could be lust, it could be boredom, um, feelings of inadequacy. But the reason is always selfish. It's never because the man thinks that it will benefit the other person. Um, it's always for their particular benefit. What they fail to recognize before the affair or the fling actually gets going is that the other person is going to bring to their particular relationship um, all their own flaws, concerns, worries, inadequacies. It's very unlikely that the affair will deal with the underlying cause of the affair, the dissatisfaction in their, in their partnership, in their original partnership, uh, for whatever reason. And it will just bring, um, its own issues and problems and difficulties. Nevertheless, um, society allows men very often to get away with it. If you look at the behavior of lots of politicians, it's almost seen as desirable. Occasionally they can get into trouble. Uh, if you think of the case of Dominic Strauss-Kahn, that was a fairly extreme one. Um, but increasingly it's seen to be par for the course. It seems to be okay. And when I discuss this issue with uh, friends, people have said, you know, what does it matter what somebody does in their private life uh, if they're uh, if they're, uh, as long as they're competent at their job. But my thought always is, if somebody can do something so stupid in their private life, why do we think they won't make similar mistakes uh, in their public life? So in the case of a person like Colin Sutherland, who is relying on subterfuge and de deceit, I think it makes sense for him to be punished. Because as a novelist, you're creating your own world and you are free to do what you want. So... Dear listeners, I'm afraid that is why Colin Sutherland um, had to pay for his indiscretion with his life. Which brings us to the last question that people asked me. Um, what is real? What is fiction in this story? Uh, well, first off, I have to admit I haven't met a shape-shifting woman or a shape-shifting fox yet. Um, but who knows? Uh, I set it in Ireland um, because I have to admit, if I had lots of money, I'd buy myself a big 18th century house in Galway uh, and do it up so it was super comfortable and not drafty. Um, and I would love to live near the sea. Quite some time ago, I used to go and do training courses in Cork in Ireland, not on the West Coast side, but down there on the South Coast. Um, and I thought it was an amazing area. Um, and I really, really loved the countryside. And if I was to leave Germany, where I live now, I could well imagine going to live in uh, Southern Ireland. What else is true? Yes, there are feral mink in the countryside in Ireland, and these bred from mink that escaped from fur farms in the 1960s. Um, but as to the individual people uh, that I focus on in the story, so Colin Sutherland uh, and uh, Yasmin Tilka, um, Colin Sutherland isn't a, any particular person, um, but he's very much based on um, types of men that I've met over the years uh, who think that they're entitled to behave exactly how they like because they are rich and 
powerful. And I'm sure all of you can recognize people who have Colin's sense of entitlement. I think one of the most objectionable aspects of Colin um, is this thinking that a woman who rejects his advances is playing games. Uh, And this is an attitude which is unfortunately still, I think, very, very prevalent. I've also met several Yasmins, though fortunately none whose depression has led them to suicide. Um, Unfortunately, they do seem to be very vulnerable to people like Colin, uh, who are able to exploit them. But there was one scene in the story which happened to me. And that's in episode three, when Colin is driving back from the Christmas party, from Flora's family's Christmas party, uh, driving back late at night along uh, a foggy road. Um, And if you remember, it's quite hilly, the road. Uh, Roads go down and in the valley there's fog and then it comes up to the top of the hill and the road is clear from fog. And uh, this is something that happened to me when I was a child. I was driving with my mother uh, in uh, Sussex, which is in the uh, southern part of, uh, of England, uh, on a late at night, uh, driving along a straight road through some woodlands. And it was very hilly. Uh, and just as in the story, the road would lead down into a small valley where it would be very foggy and then we'd drive up to the top of the hill uh, and it would be completely clear. And this went on for a little while, a couple of minutes or so. And then suddenly, just as we came up a hill, out of the fog and into the clear area, there in the middle of the road, just in front of my mother's car, was this small Christmas tree. Not a fox, not a person, but a Christmas tree. And it was too late to stop or to avoid it. And my mother just drove straight through it. And we then stopped because we'd both seen it. And we both heard nothing. And we looked back and there was nothing there. And we got out of the car and looked at the front of the car. There's nothing on the front of the car. No marks uh, or anything. No, Nothing on the side of the road. No sign of us having bumped into anything at all. And what was so peculiar about it was that we had both seen it, both expected something to happen, and then it didn't. So not quite as dramatic as driving through a fox, which then disappears, but something which I've never been able to explain what exactly it was. Um, And before people write in and say, oh, it must have been fog. It wasn't fog. There was no fog up there on the top of the hill. It was just a little Christmas tree. No Christmas lights, just a little Christmas tree standing there in the middle of the road, which somehow disappeared when we drove into it. And I have no explanation for it whatsoever. So that's the background to Vixen, and I hope you enjoyed the story. If you did, and if you use Apple Podcasts, it would be great if you could give the show a rating uh, and also leave a comment. You can also leave comments on behind the bottom line episodes as well if you go to my new website and the link is on the post for this bonus episode of Vixen. Um, The website is still in the development phase and I hope to have everything ready by the beginning of February so if you have any feedback for me let me know as soon as possible. Season 4 of Behind the Bottom Line will be starting at the beginning of February with 10 more stories which I hope will amuse and intrigue you together with their real life backgrounds. Until then take care This is James Schofield saying goodbye.